0: God apprehended my heart uh, over 49 years ago, and I can honestly say I've never gotten over His grace and love for me as a sinner. And I'm more overwhelmed today and moved by that than ever in my life. It's, uh, uh, the gratitude uh, towards God and appreciation just has grown deeper and deeper uh, over, the, over the years. Uh, I hope you did pick up a copy of the uh, sermon uh, notes, and as I mentioned uh, in, uh, at the offertory prayer, we are kicking off today the emphasis on our Lottie Moon uh, uh, offering for international missions. Uh, you'll see, whether you're looking on the PowerPoint or your notes, that the national goal is $165 million. Uh, this is the largest single offering uh, for missions uh, in the world. And uh, this offering goes to uh, support our denominations right at about 3,700 missionaries uh, that work around the world. Uh, you know, for a number of years now, there's been a concentrated uh, uh, effort, priority, investment uh, being made in those unreached people groups. in uh, reaching them and bringing the gospel of Jesus uh, to them. And uh, our missionaries are doing a great great work. Uh, they are totally dependent upon this offering. And the wonderful thing I've shared with you often about this offering is that when you give, you can know that every single penny you give goes to the missionaries on the field to support their work. Nothing goes towards administrative costs related to the offering. It gets to the missionaries uh, on the field. And uh, they are literally seeing tens of thousands come to know Christ, Uh, planting tens of thousands of new churches each year Uh, and it's just uh, amazing to see how God is using them and especially uh, reaching these unreached people groups and I'll be sharing more uh, about that with you uh, in the uh, upcoming weeks Uh, but uh, our goal of course is twenty thousand dollars and then I've, I've done this year what I've done in previous years Um, You'll notice there in your notes, and we'll walk walk through this, and it'll be up on PowerPoint as well. You'll notice I'm giving suggested levels of giving, and you've always responded very, very well to this. And I love doing this uh, because it not only gives you different levels of giving that you can select, but it also demonstrates uh, the ways that the money is being used. Uh, This is just some of the ways uh, a very small percentage of the ways your money is being used to reach people for Christ uh, around uh, the world. And so what I ask every uh, member to do is to uh, pray over this list and you select that level of giving that would be a challenge for you, where you could truly say this would be an opportunity for you to sacrificially give uh, to the cause of Christ. I'm so thankful that, uh, I, you know, I've been at this church since 19, I came here in 1977. To my knowledge, to my knowledge, if my memory is correct, we've always, every single year, exceeded the Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, for international uh, missions. Uh, often have led uh, the uh, association in giving to this offering that's been true in just the last few years although we're not one of the necessarily larger churches numerically uh, you have always uh, been very very generous and rightfully so knowing that the money you give will translate into souls saved for christ and unreached people groups reach so here's the levels of giving that i'm suggesting uh would provide the money needed to produce a gospel film in a new uh, language to reach an unreached people group. Uh, How exciting is that Uh, to know that if you gave that amount, that can be used to produce that film that will penetrate an unreached people group and share with them uh, the beautiful story of Jesus, his life his death, burial, and resurrection, that they might come to know him. I think all of us are aware uh, for a number of decades how God has used, for example, the Jesus film uh, around the world. Uh, we uh, use this many, many times in mission trips to Romania, and, it, and it's been used in virtually in every country in the world. And, uh, and so that is a powerful medium to present the gospel. Uh, $1,800, this is a very wonderful one, $1,800 would provide money for a sewing training station to teach self-sufficiency to women coming out of sex trafficking. Uh, Many of our missionaries are, are working in areas of the world. We know that's a problem right here in the United States as well. Uh, But it's horrific in many of the uh, other countries around the world. And so they're penetrating these uh, trafficking areas. And they are rescuing these women. And uh, these women then need a trade uh, so that they can make a living on their own. And so $1,800 would provide this sewing training station to teach them self-sufficiency. And notice I put in parenthesis $80 to purchase a a sewing machine uh, for a class. $800. That $800 provides a five-tier training event over five years for Muslim believers to reach other Muslims with the gospel. I I mean, I hope this excites you. I mean, to to see this happening and to see that how uh, uh, a little bit of money goes a long ways in other areas of the world. And so $800 is five-tier training over five years for Muslim believers. $500 level provides travel for a national believer to share the gospel in a neighboring restricted access country. In other words, um, where we take a believer in one country and uh, we provide this money for his travel, he goes into an adjacent country that is... It's very difficult to access that country with the gospel, but because of him being in that region, he's able to uh, make that uh, 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 travel into the other country. $445, training, food, and travel for more than 90 pastors, leaders, and believers. And, of course, we're talking about national pastors in their uh, country's leaders and believers. $350, uh, translation. Translation of a Bible story into sign language to present the life-changing gospel of Jesus to the deaf. This is one that's very, very special to our family. I don't know how many of you know, my wife Kathy, her younger sister, is deaf. Uh, married to a deaf husband they have three hearing children this has been remarkable to see them grow up over the years but this has given us a heart for the deaf community and the unique needs that exist within that community and you can imagine what it's like in third world uh, countries Uh, for anyone that has any type of physical or uh, mental uh, limitation Often they're totally neglected and so this provides the opportunity to reach them with the gospel. $230, this is a nice creative one. Two sheep for a family uh, to start animal husbandry work in order to share the gospel in an area difficult to access the gospel. In other words, we, we provide the sheep. They're able to use that to uh, provide this animal husbandry work and the purpose is to build those relationships to ultimately be able to share the gospel. $150 would be one month in-country language study for a missionary. $150 would provide one month in-country language study for a missionary. $100 for you techies, a one-year website domain name, Renewal as a Tool to Spread the Gospel. Um, You know, one of the missionaries we support is Alan Bieber with a crew campus crusade and he is over uh that that ministry's use of the internet and reaching people for christ and i'm just astounded every time i have an opportunity to meet with alan and to hear a report how god is using the internet net to bring people to christ in countries we otherwise could not get into uh fifty dollars would purchase five evangelistic packets with a gospel tract and DVD for places where it is publicly dangerous to share the gospel. Uh, $20 would purchase 10 New Testaments uh, to reach... The 180 million people, or at least part of those, who do not have access to any scripture in their language. And then this is a one I always include for the boys and girls, uh, because even the little preschoolers, with the help of their parents, children can participate here. $2 provides one SD card filled with audio Bible and Bible lessons, used in places, again, where it's dangerous to publicly share the gospel. And then I just mentioned there, notice, Uh, You can make your checks out to Edgewood Baptist Church. Simply designate them to the Lottie Moon. So we'll be receiving this offering. I'm introducing it today. And this will go all the way through uh, to the end of the year. And I'm trusting that we'll not only meet that goal, but we'll blow it out of the water. And uh, and we've typically done that... uh, Uh, every year Uh, I think I can't remember exactly where we ended last year but I know it was five ten thousand dollars over the over the goal and so I'm very very excited about this offering about the opportunity we have to come alongside of our 3,700 missionaries scattered all over the globe uh, enabling them to reach people for Christ and what better way can you invest your money than that I mean just ask yourself what's the worth of a single human soul. And didn't Jesus already demonstrate that to us on the cross? And so we need to come into God's heart and give as He gave sacrificially that these might be reached. Now from that I'll make the transition into the message and I'm going to stick on this theme of, uh, of giving. You know, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 said that he had learned to be content whether he was in poverty or prosperity, and that's a trick. Uh, that that takes some uh, years of living, and he acknowledged that. He didn't say he arrived at this overnight. He says, but I have learned over the years how to be content whether in poverty or prosperity uh, in any and all circumstances. Well, we also need to learn how to give, and how to give according to God's instructions, whether we are sort of down and out, or whether we would be a person of means. And it's fascinating how the Bible gives specific instructions to sort of both groups Of people, And that's what I simply want to do today in the brief moments I have, and I trust this will challenge all of us, wherever we might be in our life circumstances, that God, yes, wants to teach us to give as he gave, and that should be reflected in our giving uh, to the cause of Jesus Christ. So first, let's look at uh, God's financial counsel uh, when I'm down and out, and the first truth is I'm to rejoice in my wealth in Christ. Rejoice in my wealth in Christ. James 1.9. Now in a moment I'm going to have you turn to 2 Corinthians 8. But let me read for you James 1.9. Very simple verse. It says, But let the brother of humble circumstances, and in the context it's referring to material means, but let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. God says, even when I hit hard economic times, I am still to rejoice. Why? Because I possess spiritual riches that can never be taken from me. You know, I think of the Hebrew Christians. What an incredible example of this in Hebrews 10. Uh, As a result of persecution, they literally lost everything they had. Their property was taken from them by the Roman Empire, their accounts, their money. I mean, they, they, they went from being people of significant means, many of these Hebrew believers, to utter and absolute destitute poverty in a moment because of persecution from the Roman Empire. And this is what it says in verse 34 about how they responded. Listen to this, amazing. When all your belongings were seized were apprehended, taken from you. You endured your loss gladly. Wow. Why? Listen. Because you knew that you still possessed something much better, which would last forever. And what a great example of seeing impoverished believers rejoicing in their wealth in Christ and not becoming down in the mouth. Look at the key truth. The key truth there in your notes. Look on difficult financial circumstances as an opportunity to demonstrate that true joy is not found in material possessions, but in possessing Christ. See, see your hard economic times as an opportunity to display to the lost, to those that you come into contact with, that your joy, your contentment doesn't rest on possessions, material possessions, but on your possession of Jesus Christ. And yes, you may be going through a very difficult, hard time right now, but you rejoice in that possession that can never be taken from you, that eternal treasure that is yours in Christ. The second Thing related to those who are down and out, is to follow the example of the Macedonian Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. So, would you please take your Bibles and we want to read this magnificent testimony of these believers. Now, before we read it, uh, let me give you just a little bit of background. There was a famine. In the region of Judea, uh, where, of course, the capital city of Jerusalem. And uh, believers were suffering because of that famine. So, one of the things Paul was doing with the Gentile churches is in his travels and his missionary journeys, he was receiving, take, he was challenging these Gentile churches to give gifts, to give money that could be given to their uh, brothers and sisters in the region of Judea, these these Hebrew Christians, who they had never met, had never had any interaction with. And uh, Paul knew that this would be a wonderful way also to promote what? Harmony and unity among both Jewish and Gentile Christians. Now, uh, this church in Macedonia that is being referred to, and we'll see this in a moment, they were in tough economic times, and that is an understatement. Uh, the language that is used in this text, uh, and there are different words in the Greek that would relate to uh, being poor, or experiencing poverty. Uh, the word here is the most extreme. In other words, they were experiencing destitute poverty, poverty. Uh, they were struggling just to find enough to survive to f- food for their families. And the, and the reason was, again, persecution. Uh, many of these Macedonian churches, the cities in which they were in, uh, emperor worship had a stronghold uh, where uh, the Roman uh, emperor, the Roman Caesar, was, was literally deified. And the, and the Roman government, And and I've mentioned this in other messages previously, especially our series on persecution uh, uh, much, much earlier uh, last year. Um, uh, They didn't really care what religion you embraced. They didn't give a hoot. As long as you would declare supreme allegiance to Caesar as God, as Lord. And of course, it was the Christians' refusal to do that that put them on a collision course with the Roman Empire and put them under such severe persecution. Another factor that was at play here is in many of these cities, to get work, you had to join the trade guild associated with that particular occupation. And most of these trade guilds were connected were the worship of a pagan god where if you were in that occupation a carpenter or whatever it might be and you couldn't get work unless you were in that trade guild but to get in that trade guild you had to worship this particular god and again the christians refused to do that and as a result they were literally blackballed Uh, although uh, uh, they had skills they had abilities to work they could they couldn't get work because they were blocked out they were just shut out uh, of, of work so uh, they were living under the most difficult uh, of, of circumstances and the and at this point in history of the church that, that that persecution was really beginning to heat up it was really beginning to intensify and uh, and they, they were feeling that squeeze feeling that pressure and especially economically and and so when paul uh, came to these Macedonians. He knew their circumstances, and you can sort of read in between the texts, and it's very obvious that he had no plans to challenge them to give to this special offering that he was receiving for those in Judea that were suffering for the famine. But apparently, when these Macedonian believers heard that Paul was taking this offering, and he did not include them, they got a little upset. And you'll go see in the passage where they literally beg Paul for the opportunity to participate despite their circumstances. So with that background, let's read th- these verses. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches in Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, that's that persecution, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep. Poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God of God. Did did you notice words that are put together that you wouldn't think you could bring together? For example, he talks about what? Joy in affliction. Did you notice that? He linked liberality with what? Poverty. So joy in affliction, liberality in poverty. He says they 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 gave beyond their ability. They begged in light of their circumstances not to receive help, but they actually begged to be able to give help to others. So look at those next three bullet points, just lessons that we can take from these Macedonian believers to instruct us today, and especially if you would find yourself right now in a tough situation economically. First, give despite your circumstances. That's the first lesson that we see that's very, very obvious. Give despite your circumstances. Let the wealth of your generosity disguise the depths of your poverty. And that's exactly what happened with these Macedonians. And again, we're not trying to say that they could, they could give as, uh, as much as many others would give, but, but, but for what they gave uh, was much more than most of the other churches gave. Maybe not in the size or the amount of the money given, but in terms of the depth of the sacrifice. So that's the first truth. Give despite your circumstances. Let the wealth of your generosity disguise the depths of your struggle or your poverty. Uh, you know, let's just be honest. and We've all been there. I've been there. I, I struggle with the same thing. I, I'm in the same boat uh, with, 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 with you. Uh, uh, And I'll be honest, not right now, but, you know, I can think back in earlier days when the children were very, very small and uh, there's a lot going on and sometimes it would get tough. Uh, For those who struggle to make ends uh, meet, uh, let's be honest. It's easy to say, you know, if I only had more, I would give to the cause of Christ. But this scripture let's be honest, also challenges that thinking. Despite being persecuted, despite being in the depths of poverty, the Macedonian Christians overflowed with the wealth of liberality. Matter of fact, when you think about it, their giving actually put their lives in jeopardy. In other words, they gave away what they could not afford. See, typically when we give, right, and this is appropriate, we're we're giving out of discretionary funds. In other words, you know, we have our basic needs that need to be met and obligations. And then, uh, you know, you'll have some discretionary funds that you can, then you have a choice how you're going to utilize those funds. Well, these Macedonian believers, they didn't have discretionary funds. Anything they had, they needed to survive. So that's what I mean by their giving actually put their lives in jeopardy. Uh, And and it would be very tempting to say, well, that's so foolish. How impractical. How reckless. And especially, you know, if there's a family and there's, there, there's children in, involved. But we must remember that God's ways are not our ways. One of the Macedonian, and let me explain it this way. One of the Macedonian churches being referred to in 2 Corinthians 8 was the church at Philippi. To whom Paul, of course, wrote the letter of Philippians. In the fourth chapter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul thanks the church for their giving to him, supporting him as a missionary to take the gospel in his uh, missionary journeys. And in verse 17, this is you wrote, listen very carefully, just a little short verse. He says, responding to their gift, not that I seek the gift itself. I mean, he, he expressed appreciation and gratitude, but he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the prophet which increases to your account. Fascinating little phrase. He says, I seek the profit, which increases to your account. In the Greek text, that phrase was used in the money markets of their day, in the money markets of their day, to indicate the interest that would accumulate to a person's personal investment account. Therefore, the Macedonian Christians, through their sacrificial giving, were actually, Paul said, making an investment with God, which would yield a return both now and in eternity. So when you look at it that way, well, maybe their giving was not so foolish, was not so impractical, was not so reckless as they were trusting God, leaning on God, believing God would be true to His Word. So that's the first truth. Uh, Give despite your circumstances. Look at the next bullet point. Give enthusiastically. Give enthusiastically. Let the the, the spontaneity of your giving preclude the need to be asked. Again, you would think the Macedonian believers would be begging for someone to help them. You would think when they were asked to give, they would excuse themselves because of their dire circumstances and everyone would understand. No one would be offended. No one would be understand. They would say, yeah, yeah, we, we understand. Like I said, it, it's, it seems obvious Paul wasn't even initially planning to ask them to participate. They, they had to beg for that opportunity. Uh, and that's the amazing thing. They begged to participate in this offering and, and begged to participate in an offering that was going to believers that they had never met. So the simple truth here is, God wants an enthusiastic giver. Most of you are familiar with Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven. It says, "We're not to give grudgingly We're not to give under compulsion. You know, I don't want anybody in this church ever to feel pressured to give, whether it be to the church budget, Lottie Moon, or whatever we might challenge you with. No. He says, you're not to give grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He wants your giving not to be so much out of duty, but delight, delight on who He is, what He's done for you, and your giving as an expression of that delight in Christ and your gratitude for who He is and what He did for you. For you. Look at the next bullet point. Give knowing you cannot outgive God. Give knowing you cannot outgive God. In other words, let the sacrifice of your gift be an expression of your love for and your trust in God. Now don't miss this. The Macedonians saw their sacrificial giving first and foremost an opportunity to express their love for Jesus. Paul acknowledges that in verse 5. He said they did this not as we expected because they first gave themselves to God. He realized, he, he, I mean he opened that passage, he says we want to make you known the, the, the grace of God which has been given to these churches. In other words, as they gave themselves to God, they just knew the outpouring of God's grace in them, and they became a channel to extend and express that grace to others, whether it's through the demonstration of Jesus in their lives, through their giving, through their liberal, out- in uh, difficult circumstances, uh, to put him on display. Uh, so, uh, and I, th- I think they're thinking with something like this, and this is the way our thinking should go when it comes to giving. Did not Jesus, and we sang about it earlier, did not Jesus, through the sacrifice of his life, did he not pay off my sin debt in full? And then did he not credit to my spiritual bank account every bit of his righteousness? Did he not do this to reconcile me to God and give me the gift of eternal life? Now, when you ask those questions, I think there's only one answer. Therefore, no gift ever could be too extravagant or no sacrifice too great for him. Right? The Macedonians simply saw their economic adversity as an opportunity to demonstrate their love for Jesus and their trust in Jesus. In other words, would they believe their master? Look at, listen to this wonderful promise in Luke 6, verse 38. You're familiar with it. Give and you will receive. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, this isn't the prosperity gospel. Sometimes that amount you get back, that might be in eternity. That might be where you get the dividends on your investment. You can know God will be faithful to meet your needs here. And that's where we just trust God. But the point is, you can trust him. You can trust Him. Uh, There are other verses. I I wish we had time in 2 Corinthians 8 9 where he talks about, hey, God is able. God is able to give you sufficiency for everything you need. And not everything you need, but to give so that you can give to others as well. So it comes down to seeing giving as an expression of our love and an opportunity to trust Him. Now let's turn our attention in the brief time that we have left on God's financial counsel when I'm prosperous. When I'm prosperous, prosperous. Uh, look at the first point. Remember the temporary nature of material blessings and their inability to give lasting joy. Remember the temporary nature of material blessings and their inability to give lasting joy. Uh, going back to James 1, verses 10 and 11, it talked about the believer in humble circumstances glorying in his wealth in Christ. It says here, the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flowers uh, falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man, man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. In other words, riches aren't gonna last and they will fade. So here's the key truth. It is not material resources that will bring me through life's trials. It is spiritual resources. It's not material resource, material resources that will bring me through life's trials. It is spiritual resources. Now, you can take. Please take your Bible. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter six, verses seventeen through nineteen. And uh, I was planning to read the entire thing, and, and but. We'll look at it, but we'll look at it as we go through this, uh, just to conserve on time. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and just, just be ready there, verses 17 through 19. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. Keep in mind that the standard of living enjoyed by most of us right here at Edgewood would make us rich in the eyes of Timothy's congregation to whom this charge was originally directed. When the Apostle Paul refers to the writs in verse 17, he's not just talking about those with the most expensive homes or properties or the largest bank accounts. To be rich is to have... Now, this is, this is how I think they would have defined writs in Bible days. To be rich would be to have more than the essentials of food, clothing, and shelter. In other words, it goes back to something I said a moment ago. In today's terminology, it would be to have discretionary funds that you are totally free to use in any way that you want, knowing that all your other needs and obligations are met. So that's what I think how the Bible would actually define the writs. Those whose basic needs are met, obligations are met, and then you're holding in your hand discretionary funds that you can utilize and make a decision on any way that you uh, desire. Uh, So look at at these bullet points related to the rich. Number one, never confuse self-worth with net worth. And that's a problem in our day and age here in the United States of America. Never confuse self-worth with net worth. Verse 17 reads, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be conceited. The word conceited in this context refers to exalting oneself and looking down in contempt on those lower on the economic ladder. This first, now these verses are not in your notes, but listen to these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 8 from the uh, paraphrase, the message. It says, make sure that when you eat, and are satisfied build pleasant homes and settle in and watch your standard of living go up and up make sure you do not become full of yourself and your things so that you forget God if you start thinking to yourselves I did all this and all by myself I'm rich it's all mine well think again Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all that wealth. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God has not given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you're so great? And as though you have accomplished something on your own. So who gives the strength to give wealth? God. The last phrase of verse 17 says, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. This provides a very needed balance here. Listen now. Because we, we don't want to go, go to extreme. Nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing wrong if you want to say being filthy rich. Being on the upper echelon of even the rich in America. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having a nice home. Nothing wrong with having nice things. As long, and here's here's the caveat. Here's the condition. As long. As all of that promotes gratitude in your heart toward God. That would be the first thing. Nothing wrong with the wealth. As long as it promotes gratitude, takes you to God. And not to self-gratification. And then second, it motivates you. It motivates you to give to the cause of Christ and give to the needs of others as God has abundantly given to you. You recognize God has put you in this position to be a distribution center for Him. To advance His cause, to minister to the needs of others. Look at the next bullet point. Never confuse money in the bank with security in life. Never confuse money in the bank with security in life. In verse 17, we also see that phrase that we're not to fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches. Listen to God's advice in Proverbs 11, 28. Trust in your money and down you go. Trust in God and flourish like a tree. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the wild blue yonder. Seeking, I, I just wish I had more time to spend here, but seeking security through riches, Seeking security through riches, living in an evil, fallen world, is an illusion. It's a mirage. Bottom line, here's your choice. Here's everyone's choice. You can waste your life chasing after the illusion of financial security, or you can risk your life for the cause of Christ. And make your money count for something by investing it in the cause of Christ. And this leads us right to the next bullet point. Invest your resources. Invest your resources to impact the world for Christ and receive eternal rewards. Look at uh, verses 18 and 19 of 1 Timothy 5. Instruct them. Again, he's speaking to the rich. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. The words do good are the translation of a Greek word which literally means to do what is qualitatively good and to act for someone else's advantage, not your own advantage. In other words, when the many appeals come your way for money, for you to give, and we all get those. You're inundated, phone, mail, When those many appeals come, be careful to use your resources to the good and advantage of Jesus Christ. Invest your resources to impact the world for Christ, to reach people for Christ. And that's the beauty of that Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. You know, every single penny you give will be translated into reaching lost people for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to where... People from all tongues, tribes, worship Him. Worship Him. Worship Him. That word, uh, that phrase storing up, this is cool. In verse 19, storing up could be translated amassing a treasure. The word translated foundation refers to a trust fund. Isn't that exciting? In other words, God is saying by investing earthly treasure in the cause of Christ you actually are laying up for yourself what? Heavenly treasure. A foundation for yourself of heavenly treasure. Look at the next bullet point. Become known more for what you give than what you possess. Let that be your reputation in the community. And those that know, become known more for what you give than what you possess. In verse 18, it says, Be rich in good works. The word rich is plateo in the Greek, which means to abundantly furnish. The application is, through our giving, we are to abundantly furnish the household of God, the cause of God, the advancement of His kingdom around the world. Yes, as we read earlier in verse 17, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. But listen to me now. Listen to me. But it is wrong. It is dead wrong when we become so busy seeking to increase our standard of living, we lower our standard of giving. That's when it becomes wrong. When the focus is so much on wealth, then I'm neglecting using this as an opportunity to also increase my level of giving. And it is wrong when our giving is low while our debts are high because our wealth is being used on things that really don't matter nothing in light of eternity. Listen to Haggai chapter 1 verse 9. I think you're all familiar with the book of Haggai. You remember? This is when the Jews came back from the Babylonian captivity and their first priority was to rebuild the temple. They started the project, didn't get beyond the foundation, and then got distracted, totally absorbed in their own self-interest and self-gratification. And this is what God said to them through the prophet Haggai. He said, you hope for so much, but you get so little. And when you bring it home, I blow it away. It doesn't last at all. Why? Why? Because my temple lies in ruin and you don't care. Your only concern is your own fine, nice homes. See, that's a people that have lost their priorities. And that can happen to me. It can happen to you. God's admonition and promise to us is captured with a very familiar passage, Matthew 6, verses 31 through 33. Listen, do not worry then. Don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, in other words, unbelievers, they eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And the Inference is knowing the need. He's provided the need because of his love for you. But then he says, here's the key. But seek, what? First, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be what? Added to you. God says, you keep your priority right. You ensure that I'm your first love that you submitted to my authority, to serve my agenda, to seek my approval in all things, and especially in this area of the handling of your finances and giving. And if you will make me first, all these things will be added to you. Look at the next bullet point. Give sacrificially, not merely out of surplus funds. Give sacrificially, not merely out of surplus funds. Verse 18 says we are to be generous and ready to share. Look at the next bullet point. Become personally involved in the work of Christ. The end of verse 18 says we're to be ready to share. That phrase ready to share derives from the common New Testament word for fellowship. And this is very important. Don't miss this. In other words, when you give to the cause of Christ, he's saying it's not to be done in a cold, detached manner. God describes that you become personally involved with the gift. He just doesn't want you to just throw money at something and that's all that you do. No, he wants you to be an active participant in the life of the church, an active participant in the advancement of the gospel. What God wants more than anything else is not your money. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your life totally surrendered to him and the cause of Christ. And then very very quickly, I just have time to 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 just complete Uh, the notes, but these next three points are so important. I thought it would be important just to conclude with several points related to sacrificial giving. Because notice, both the down and out and the prosperous are both challenged to practice sacrificial giving. First bullet point. Sacrificial giving is an act of worship which reveals the worth I place on my relationship with Jesus Christ. Matthew 6 21 says, for where you're treasure is, there will be your heart. Whatever has your heart is going to have your money. Whatever has your heart is going to be reflected on how you use your money. If Jesus is your first love, greatest passion, the advancement of the gospel, other people coming to know Christ, that's going to be seen in your money. That's going to be seen on how you do utilize those discretionary funds. Look at the next bullet point. And I've always loved this truth. Sacrificial giving is an investment which yields eternal dividends. The amount of my return is not determined by the size of my gift, but the depth of my sacrifice. Matthew, Mark 12, that's the, the example of the little, little widow that, that gave her a couple of pennies and, and he turned to his disciples and said, she just gave more than everybody else has given all day here at the temple. And do you understand what this does? It puts us on equal footing before God. See, you had those impoverished, poor Macedonian believers, you had the writs at Timothy. It puts them all on equal footing when it comes opportunity to have rewards in heaven, because God doesn't reward on the size of the gift but the depth of the sacrifice. It will be very, very interesting when we get to heaven, and God begins to give out rewards. Very, very interesting uh, as he levels things out, as he levels things out. Uh, and then that last bullet point, sacrificial giving is a spiritual barometer which determines if God can entrust me with spiritual resources. Luke 6, 11, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And which words, this is one of the tests that God uses to see if he can trust you with spiritual resources and to distribute those resources to others. Are you being faithful in the way that you handle your financial resources? And as we close, of course, didn't we, haven't we seen all this lived out in our Lord Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 8 9 says what? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became what? poor that through his poverty you might become rich so right now I know it's been a message on giving but right now we're going to end on a note of praise because I hope that's where this message has led us to Jesus and we give because of who he is and what he's done for us and so, I, I want us with all our hearts to worship him right now in this closing uh, praise uh, chorus uh, Great are you, Lord. And as this is being sung, I'll remain right here if anyone has a decision of any nature, desire to unite with the local church here at Edgewood, or uh, share a, a recent profession of faith. Uh, as you put your trust in Jesus, as we can help you uh, down that pathway of growth. So, I'll remain here if anyone has a decision. But I want us with robust hearts uh, to sing this out in praise to our Lord as we close our service today. So please stand as we do this.